Hello and good evening once again. I am Mario, the Artisan Rogue, and this is my show, Radio 74. If you guys hear any kind of meowing or anything, two of my cats are here in my recording studio with me, which is also my art studio. I don't want to make that sound overly fancy. So I went recently, I know, I'm getting, so I'm going to have to keep turning to the side to allow the cat, uh, Luna, to get petted, and my other one, Radar, is sitting over to the side, and the third one is elsewhere in the house at the moment. Um... Uh, so I went to Planet Comic Con, which was, as usual, a lot of fun. I um, I didn't end up doing the show as a vendor, although my buddy Ben was kind enough to get me a badge so that I was able to attend, and I got there way early. I went with my brother this year, and we got there really early and ended up leaving about an hour before the show ended. I actually got a little confused thinking that the show ended for some reason around 6 or 7, and I'm not even sure why. I think the show ended around 8 p.m. or so. Nonetheless, it was still a really fun day. For those of you that have never been to Planet Comic Con, it's a show that's been running, I believe, now in its 22nd or 23rd year. It originally was held in Overland Park and the older convention center. And then it made the transition to Bartle Hall a few years back. Now, full disclosure, I've had my ups and downs with the show as far as being a vendor there okay um i <laughs> i'm gonna go into some weird ground here on this but i'll keep it very polite and very short in this i don't do the show anymore because for what it's worth the show has never been profitable for me and i think over the years the tables have gone up in price you know granted the attendance is larger and larger and larger and there's more people going to it and I just stepped away from it a few years ago because I was never able to really make much money at it. If if anything, I might break even. There was never a show, and I have, believe me, I've been, uh, I've been blogging about it and keeping track of my stuff there for years, well over a decade that I had done it. And it's been some years since I had done the show, and I did the show in a row for about, I want to say, at least six or seven years. And no show that I ever did there did I ever make back my table cost, which is a business expense, right? And they varied. I remember back uh, when I first started, and it was at the Overland Park Convention Center, I think the tables were like 125 They've since risen to about 280 or something like that. I don't even know because I've never applied in recent years. Um, I've heard prices as high as 400 I don't know if that's true or not. But going into the door at any show with that much debt, in your pocket already amassed is kind of a hard thing to swallow. And I know there's some show, some other shows like C2E2 and those that also have high table costs. And, you know, it is what it is. But in, under this circumstance, it was one where I just, I couldn't fathom doing it anymore. I was just freaking out because the costs kept going up and I wasn't making any more money. I wasn't really making money at all. You know, I'd end up doing a few sales here and there over the course of the days, but the majority of my time, because one of the things I used to do, and I would encourage a lot of people to do this. I mean, if you really want a fast track to depression, do this. I would keep little notes. I would take like a little spiral bound notepad and I would write down from three o'clock to four o'clock. I sold $2 or something like that. And after a while, it just didn't, it just wasn't worth it. It was really painful. But in this circumstance, I ended up attending the show and being able to be much more free with my time. 
So we walked around, we shopped for comics, for action figures, for collectibles, caught up with people, things like that. And I've been featuring some of the stuff on both of my different accounts, 80s Days Gone By and The Artist and Rogue, the two Instagram accounts I have. It was a lot of fun, again. Um, most of it being just being able to hang out with my brother and talk to people and catch up with old friends and meet new people. That's always a blast. And... uh one of the things that I did take away from it this year was that it's extremely odd coming back in a circumstance where most of my social skills and evidently my diction for the English language uh, eroded over the time that I wasn't really attending or doing many shows. Now, I did do some shows last year, you know, one or two, and I attended a few others, but I've always been something of... Um, a friend of mine actually called me this one time an extroverted introvert. Um, when I'm either on the microphone or in person at a show, I can certainly bring forward whatever sort of, uh, you know, charisma or personality I have and put it out there for small stints of time. And thankfully it gets me through days and I'm able to get things sold. I'm able to enjoy conversations and really kind of let my uh, my more edgier or wild self out for a little bit. The rest of the time, I'm a little bit more conservative in my overall approach and a lot quieter, uh, you know. So in this case, I was able to be a little bit more out there, you know, going to the show and just relaxing and enjoying myself and kind of shopping and catching up with people. That didn't mean that I didn't have some faux pas in there. I actually ended up picking up... Oh, where's the book here? I'm going to look for it really quickly while I'm trying to do this. i got to take some photographs of it and share it to my Instagram. I picked up Revere, a Revolution in Silver by Ed Lavely, who I met for the first time this year. And uh, I had been wanting to pick up this book directly from him. I'm glad he signed it. It is a gorgeous book. I'm, I can't wait for the sequel. I'm about halfway through it, and it is... A phenomenal freaking book and i ended up picking up a couple of other books but i'm gonna fo focusing on this one right here that i'm smacking loudly on, on the microphone um when i met him um my other friend ed bickford was there as well at the booth and my brother was there as i'm talking to him and i said i want to pick up this book we're just talking away and chatting and all these other sorts of things and i'm like well dude hey thanks and i start to walk the hell away having not paid for the book and he's like, well, you know, you, you got to pay for that. And I was like, oh, I'm, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I just ended up stammering. I mean, they, they everyone, you know, took the mickey out of me on that and just was like, dude, what? You know, I'm like, no, I swear it's the it's the lack of social interaction. I didn't have my my veggies today. I I, you know, it was embarrassing, but it was funny at the same time. And I completely own it. I completely and totally own that moment. It was memorable, and I'm pretty sure Ed Lavely will never forget me. I was the man that almost made off with his book. I'm pretty sure, though, I wouldn't have gotten very far. I imagine Bickford would have thrown something at me to stop me. So, But it was hilarious for me in that moment. It was something memorable, and I've learned to kind of, like, you know, roll with the punches on that because I am super awkward. I am super awkward in a lot of circumstances. Um, aside from that, I got, I didn't make it to everybody I wanted to see at the show. I did also end up picking up, um, 
Foul Language. This is the second book that I picked up. And this one was uh, from my buddy Brian Gordon, a hilarious dude. And I have yet to... Oh, this is another one. I've got to take photos of it tonight for Instagram. And um, actually, this is the first book, the night that I got back from the show... I was just feeling post-com blues already, you know, washing over me. And granted, I had been given a vendor badge, so there really wasn't a reason I could have could not have gone back on Sunday, um, except for the fact that I didn't feel like getting beat up by my wallet. So um, I read through the book, and it's for those of you unfamiliar with Foul Language by Brian Gordon, it's a wonderful series of cartoons, ducks, 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 ducks. Um, I knew of him from a prior comic strip, and I'm forgetting, ah, Frank and Beans, that he had done while at Hallmark. Hilarious stuff. Very cute art. This is a lot better in a lot of ways because this is him. Both strips are well-drawn, professionally executed, but there is something in foul language that really sung to me in a lot of ways. You can tell that this is not just a labor of love, but it is truly coming out of his heart in a lot of other ways. Now, one of the things I would like to do at some point in time is to ask him some questions about like a lot of the origin of what this is. But it's something of an autobiographical thing is what I'm taking it to be because he has kids. It it talks about what he goes through raising children and all this other stuff. But even if you don't have kids, there is something really hilarious about the setup of a lot of the stories in here. And they're kind of one panel gags. There's a bit of um, uh, a feel that evokes the far side, but also, you know, bears a little bit of a nod to non sequitur. But there's also a little bit that touches on the brilliance of probably late 80s, early 90s Garfield that rings true in this cartoon. And I, I honestly believe out of all the people that I've known, like his work is something that I would love to see animated. And I think would be completely over the top hilarious. Um, but he is a, an impeccably funny writer and a really damn good artist. And I love that he drew in this one. In fact, when I was trying to set it up for, um, for, for Instagram to get some shots, I was trying to find the previous book I'd gotten off of him. Right. Um, because in that one, he drew a version of his main character as Wolverine, and I loved it. It was freaking hilarious. I think I got it, that at Free State about a year or two ago. It was pre-COVID, and so oh, about three years ago. And um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I, I can't recommend this enough. Then I also ended up picking up book-wise another one called The Little Orange Man by Karen Schwartz and Justin Melendez. Now, these two are part of a creative collective called Talenshi that I follow. I'm a huge fan of their work. They are the ultimate makers and craftsmen. Everything that they put out, and that, and this is not speaking down on the two previous things I was just talking about, but Talenshi has an incredible outlet of products and creations that they release from i think like postcards and greeting cards to books to enamel pins to like um wood etched stuff that they'll do on their Glowforge. just brilliant illustration done by karen and this is a small children's book that uh it's about um it's about eight and a half by eleven thereabouts with huge glorious illustrations throughout it's an homage to their cat uh tiger man i believe is his name 
It was done in 2018, and it's a gorgeous book. Um, it's not very long. It's an easy read for children of all ages, and it's beautiful enough to keep people's attention. It certainly grabbed mine when I saw it. I was like, this isn't even an if purchase. I'm buying this right now. I had gone to the booth in hopes of collecting more of... I had gotten in on their Kickstarter. Let me let me preface this by saying I had gotten in on their Kickstarter from, I believe it was two years ago, and it was the uh, Birds at Arms series i'm hoping I'm getting that right and i had picked up a few from their sets i think the pins ran around 22 dollars a pin or so a fantastic price when you see them in person you'll know exactly what i mean uh please they i've got some photos of them on my instagram on uh, the artisan rogue ones that you can check out on there they were um they were some of the ones that I, there was a few that I'd missed that I wanted to go pick up. And then as soon as I saw the book, I'm like, okay, well, I definitely need to pick this up. And you know what? This brings to bear something interesting. When I go to shows, I've now been much more focused on um, going to shows and keeping a budget, right? So I had about 120 to about $140. I didn't want to spend more than that. And I kind of wanted to make sure I hit everyone's booth and kind of stayed within a certain spending zone. So I was like, okay, one thing from everyone that I could get to that I was able to pick something up from. Unfortunately, I had already run out of money for the most part by halfway through the show. <laughs> so I was a little more reluctant and I spent some time around the quarter bins of comics and things like that, looking for some of their old issues. The other thing I've tried to do now shifting gears over into how I handle myself at these shows is the reason I'm enjoying myself is that I'll take some time to go, you know what, here's the time to kind of go through some comic bins and stuff and, and find some things that I had wanted. I'm always on the lookout, you know, for like old Warlord and ElfQuest books, things like that. But I did end up finding the only other one that I ended up picking up as far as books is the um, uh, Disney's Tron Betrayal graphic novel. And I was actually unaware of this. I'm a huge Tron fan. For any of you that have watched any of my videos, you know that there's that massive uh, Daft Punk uh, poster that's in the back of uh, the area where I film normally. And um, and I didn't know about this. So I guess this is a prequel, I believe. I have yet to read this. I made it was making it an effort to read everyone else's books first and then get to that one. But that was... I, picked, I didn't end up picking up any um, single issues or anything else like that. Uh, by the time I'd finished running around and filming footage for my TikTok and then also trying to figure out some other stuff and catch up with people and eat and all this other stuff. And we also went to a couple of panels. So we went to, oh Lord, his name is Jason Frank. He's the green and white ranger from Power Rangers. His was really pretty cool. It was immediately before um, Adam Savage's panel which was a blast as well. So that was about two hours of our day right there, just sitting down watching. And uh, Adam Savage's panel was standing and sitting room only along the floor and the wall. It was crazy great. It was really funny. He has an, he didn't even have like, you know, any, anybody up there asking him questions. He just came out, initially sat down on the sofa chair they had out there and then got up and walked around. Very casual, very stand-up comedian-like, and I loved every minute of it. Uh, Jason was also really good, too. A lot of his was inspirational and covered a lot of what he had done as a Power Ranger and what his upcoming movie was going to be about. Adam Savage's, of course, he asked for a lot. Of, he had people line up and give questions, and there was a lot of them about you know, Mythbusters and that sort of thing. Thankfully, not a lot of questions were asked about uh, you know the death of his uh, 
of his co-star, um, Grant Amahara. And, and I was glad for that because I, I think people were trying to keep it sort of upbeat. I'm, you know, not that it, is, it isn't good to remember the legacy. I was a huge fan of Grant's. In fact, I made an episode specifically about him. And, um, but it was nice to see this sort of energy coming out. And by the time, even though my feet were killing me, I wore the wrong shoes. It's a concrete floor. It was a long day. But by the time I got out of there, I was like, you know what? Let's do this for another couple of hours. Which then we walked around and we were still trying to catch up with a bunch of people. And, but we were bouncing around and catching up with some others. And then we found a couple of areas where, where I know my brother had wanted to look for some books specifically. So we ended up, and that's in fact, right when I picked up the Tron book, was at my buddy uh, Craig Klotz's booth, and um, he had all of his comics out there and everything. He runs Free State, Topeka Con, uh, the new Collector Con, which is starting up, I think, here this next month in its inaugural show, and Free State. So four different varieties of pop culture-oriented shows. And um, it was great to catch up with him. It, it was just a blast, you know, just real quick. I mean, he was busy. People were wanting to buy books. I totally get it. He had great prices. If you ever see him at a show or can make it to one of his shows, go. They're great, small, indie sort of shows. There's a great energy, a great vibe, and a lot of good people that end up doing them, myself included. And um, they were. it was a lot of fun to catch up with him. And then there was a few other places where we went back and we picked up. My brother was on a mission to pick up some some art reproductions and a couple of originals. I think he bought one original in the, but it gets some books signed and things like that. So, you know, I'm kind of managing like the bags and everything else like that as we're going through there. The crowd level in general wasn't bad. Now, honestly, I had forgotten my mask and I was a little panicked by that. But by the time we got there, I was like, well, it's too late. We're here. Let's just go on in. I'm going to do the best I possibly can. Thankfully, I didn't even get con crud. Knock on wood. I didn't. Nothing happened. So that was a good thing. Um, and so far it's been like, what, over a week now and I'm, I'm still okay. I thought I was getting sick. Turned out it was just my allergies. It's been the rainy season here in Missouri. Like you would not believe, but after all that was done and said, we'd kind of looked around, seen everything we could. And there's that energy that ends up happening. Like within the last hour or so of the show, when you can tell people are like, Oh my God, can it just end today? And I'm talking about the people that are usually vending or something like that, or at an artist alley that are just like, I'm done with that thousand yard stare. I just want to go back to the hotel, to my house, whatever, and sleep. I'm just tired. <laughs> there was going to be an after party that night um, that went that ran later, but I didn't really have any reason to want to do that. The good thing about going to a show like this and being able to walk around is that it gave me a, an all new appreciation for sort of how for how the the vibe of the show had changed over the years. Now, when I remember it first going, coming to Bartle, it was wild. It was pretty crazy. And the energy seemed really frantic. Now it seemed like there had been an established sense of um, maybe crowd urgency and interaction. So it was a little more comfortable and less clogged. But there were still areas where you could walk down the two center rows on either side of the main middle run of the vendors and you'd be running into a bunch of people but i knew enough to kind of run behind the pipe and drape where usually the bathroom lines are and stuff like that and you can get around the the uh the hall fairly easily that way um but you know the the thing that popped up for me was i started kind of regretting not having done the show now i understand early on I was talking about the cost and it's not just the cost of paying for the table. It's also the rising cost in gas. It's not that far of a drive for me. It's just a couple of minutes, about 30 minutes drive to get to the actual Bartle hall. 
but it's also taking the time to take a weekend where I could be working on freelance or catching up with other stuff or working on my own self-promotion, which technically this show would be. And, you know, building up my booth and doing all these other sorts of things to get uh, set up and sell. But I didn't want to wreck right back into the same disappointment I'd had before. Now, that being said, my body of work has changed and I was a bit more interested to see how this was going to go. But I understand that this is a very different crowd in a lot of ways than NakaCon, where I usually sell very well. Now, I want to come back to this whole thing about setup because I want to end this whole thing by telling you guys a, uh, a story. And it's going to seem a little weird, a little odd, but it is a, it is a true one. And um, <laughs> it was it was very odd. Uh, it happened. I think this was um, gosh, I'm trying to think here now. I think this was probably uh, I had. OK, so I know it was only a couple of years ago, maybe about four or five years ago. It's probably the last year I did this show because um, I remember thinking to myself, in fact, I just posted it. So I just I want to make sure that like, I'm getting this right, because I, when I wrote it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally forgotten a lot about a lot of this stuff and everything. So um, I had I had done the show and I remembered like it was a, I was still working at the uh, stadiums here in Kansas City. I was working for Aramark at the time. And one of the things that really got to me was, um, you know, when I got to the show, I got there really, really freaking early. Right. And um, I think it was on Friday. I had gotten there really early on Friday because I wanted to go ahead and like just, you know, be there early and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, and, and, just, and I think I was just nervous. I, I kind of had this feeling already like it was going to be my last show. Like this was this is going to be it. Right. If, if, if I don't do it this year, it's just going to be bad. And I started the show with the worst omen possible. OK, but. I want to preface this before I get a bunch of people angry about this. This is just a story of me not really being the most comic savvy person out there. I love comics and there are certain people that whose work I appreciate, but I never knew their names. I was never much of a DC fan. And I, and the story I'm about to reread to you from a previous post that I'd made is it, it talks about that. So let me just go ahead and jump in there. All right. So I rarely tell this story and this is in regards. Let me preface this as well, too. This is about Neil Adams. May he rest in peace. I know he was a phenomenal illustrator and he was a fan favorite at planet and no doubt a bunch of other shows. Um, so let's just roll with the story and uh, hopefully nobody wants to lynch me after this if they hear this. <laughs> so I rarely tell the story, but I met him for the first time at planet comic con some years ago. And I am not good with names and was never much of a DC guy growing up, except for titles like Warlord or John Hex. So no lie, I did not know who he was. I was setting up my booth, but because I have a wall set up, I had it encroaching into the table area right behind mine temporarily. So while I stopped to talk to a buddy of mine that worked for Bartle who was there, a woman came up and waited for a while near us. And we both asked her if she needed help and she looked past my buddy directly at me and said, Neil wants to make sure you understand that his friends are sitting behind you and to be careful where the wall is going to be. And then she just turned and walked off. Now, mind you, this is early as heck in the con hall. No one else was around us at all, except for this woman. 
it was like 9 a.m. or something. And as we noticed, this fellow, an artist, uh, we guessed, sitting at a massive booth with like 16 tables of artwork all around him. But even then, neither I nor my buddy had any idea what Neil this woman must have been referring to. So I just went back to putting my booth together. And as he and I spoke, we were noticing now that the fellow who had been sitting at the table, all those tables I just mentioned, he started walking over slowly, but directly to where we were. So he gets there and he asks firmly, you realize that wall shouldn't be encroaching in the area behind you, right? A friend of mine is setting up behind you. His flight came in late and he will be here. My buddy and I just looked at each other and I simply replied, okay, well, sure. I'll, I'll be done in just a moment. I mean, it's, it's Friday. The show doesn't start for a while, but uh, yeah, I'll be sure to make sure I'm not in this space. Then there's this big pause. We're all just three standing there awkwardly looking at one another. Um, and this fellow is just, but he's just looking at me. So I'm like, okay. So I go back to work and he says, name is Neil silence i stop and i look up from him from my boxes and i go and he then he goes neil adams so i stuck out my hand i said oh oh okay cool i'm mario mario mora nice to meet you he just stared at me then my hand then looked back at my buddy and he turned and walked back to his table set up i it was weird right i and i i was like oh my god we both thought it was really weird and i figured maybe he was just crabby that morning or something maybe maybe I, I just needed to hurry up I, I but I was like wait a minute you know but you know my buddy was thinking he might have been some big deal because he'd mentioned that he'd just seen Chris Jackson the guy that of course runs Planet Comic Con using a golf cart to get quote-unquote Neil to his table so at that point I thought okay well he's probably some well-known artist and I just didn't know who he was mind you I later found out that I did know his artwork I just didn't know his name or his face so that evening was the ultimate moment of dumb that I could have had. The, that Friday didn't go very well for me, and I was already in kind of weird mood. But, you know, I, I decided to clear the air. And as the show was closing, it was like in the final hour that evening. I went over to reintroduce myself after looking him up and seeing that he was, quote unquote, the Neil Adams, according to Google. And like 89 other people who were horrified, who stopped by, you know, to visit and say hi and buy some things that I, they were horrified. They didn't know who he was. And I had told them the story from that morning. So anyway, I walk over and he greets me with the same look from earlier. I stuck out my hand and I said, you know what? I'm so sorry. I didn't know who you were, sir. I'm more of an indie comic guy, but I like the work that you have out here. He looked at me, looked at my outstretched hand and went right back to sketching the Batman he was working on. I stood there with my hand like an idiot outstretched for two more awkward minutes and then it slowly collapsed like a flan in a cupboard and fell to my side and I walked away. And that is how I met Neil Adams. Or that's how I was around Neil Adams. We never really formally met except for an introduction, both ways, extremely awkward and probably just as disheartening. <laughs> I, I am loath to tell that story to many of the people that I know that are hardcore fans of his. Um, but I could also say that, you know, this was a discussion that I had not that long ago. 
just because you're well-known within a certain circuit doesn't mean that you're a household name. It doesn't mean that that person is even well-known within their genre or their hobby or their career or whatever. I know the names of a lot of indie guys. I know the names of a lot of other illustrators that are right up my alley, toy designers, whatever. But I could talk to somebody else at Planet Comic Con or any show, and there would be no name or facial recognition to those people's names that I just dropped. So I feel okay in this, right? Like, I mean, you get to hear about people like Jim Shooter or, you know, Paul Kupperberg or things like that, that, you know, were writers, creators, editors, whatever, you know, and, and it's maybe because you saw a show with them on it or something like that. For the life of me, I may have seen something that covered Neil Adams' life and his and his stuff, but I was actually more familiar with people like John Romita and, um, you know, Rob Liefeld, stuff like that. Not necessarily because I was fans of their work, but just those are names you hear brought up, and I'd never known Neil Adams' name. I knew, absolutely knew his work. As I was making that long, bizarre walk past 16-plus tables of Amaze to get to him, I looked at the work, and I'm like, my God... This man knows how to use a pencil. <laughs> he did. He certainly did. I'm making light of the circumstance only because of the fact that I thought it was funny. Um, I still think it's a pretty funny circumstance. And I'm, I'm a nobody, right? I'm nobody of note. And I'm pretty sure that Neil Adams immediately forgot the whole circumstance after it was done. The fellow that ended up behind me, I this is one part of the story that I don't really tell because I don't know if Neil Adams had uh had offspring or anything else like that i never bothered to look um but i distinctly remember that either he or the lady who initially came over did make mention that that was one of his sons and i remember looking at the chart and i was like you don't even have the last same last name maybe i'm missing something here maybe maybe that is i don't know you know i didn't know so i, I didn't know and i was so freaked out about this possibly being my last planet comic-con which in turn it was it was my final planet comic-con and I thought to myself, wow, what a way to end this. Not only did I awkwardly interact with somebody who most of the people here would have been happy to greet and talk to. I just, I just didn't really know, you know, and I felt so bad too, because just even the way he introduced himself, there should have maybe, I, I, I assume he was anticipating some sort of recognition and I wasn't even able to give that to him, you know, because I, I just genuinely didn't know. And it wasn't out of disrespect. I just... I didn't know. I could I could easily bring up the names Richard and Wendy Penny, who are the creators of ElfQuest, and there's a fair amount of people today that would not know their names um, or the legacy and work that they've done because ElfQuest isn't as big as it once was. And, uh, you know, that's okay. You know, I mean, it is what it is. Anyway, so aside from that crazy memory, there was thankfully nothing that awkward except for trying to steal Ed Lavely's book accidentally from his booth in front of him. The rest of the show was a blast. It was a lot of fun. If you get the chance to go to Planet Comic Con, I would give it a definite recommendation. It's a pretty good show. It's a lot of fun. There are some decent guests uh, as far as the media guests that get brought there. If you can catch a uh, panel with Adam Savage, amazing fun. Stunning fun. I really regret that I didn't take the time to try and meet Adam Savage, but again, was on a budget and was really dedicated to the idea that I was going to try and catch up with people and pick up stuff from the creators that I knew and wanted to meet. So 
I'm glad that the show went pretty good. I'm glad that overall everything was, it seemed good for people. I'd be interested to know like how the show went for some people um, more as a artist alley artist that used to do the show. I'm always interested by that because um, now talking a little bit of business before we end these podcasts and a lot of what I post about do go into what people make at these shows. And the last show that I did I remember that I managed to make $221 the whole weekend. That was it. I had illustrations. I had my comic books, my graphic novel. I had some sketches. I thank goodness did a couple of commissions while I was there. I moved so little of my stuff that it was disheartening. The whole thing. It was just bad. Now, I will add that my work has changed since then. And the body of work had evolved enough that I was starting to get into the digital illustration stuff, but I still had a really mixed smattering of things to offer. And I believe that there was probably a lot of it that was my doing the presentation, the overall body of work. There was no unity. It seemed a little bit off. And I, my booth had not really evolved into what it is now as far as presentation. So this is going to be the year that for the first time I actually have every component I'd ever wanted for my setup and Nakacom will be the debut of that. It will, will still look fairly similar as to what it had before, but this time with a lot more prevalence with much more of the art reproductions and other things being shown in different ways, much more accessible for people to want to look through my work. So I'm very excited for that. And maybe, just maybe, if I can kind of swing with this one, and now that I understand after having studied, you know, a little bit more and observed more about how the crowd was and what was selling, I have some new ideas that maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'll give Planet one more try next year. And part of that reason, too, is, and I'll end on this note, NakaCon may or may not be back next year. This is a very real thing that I do plan on covering later, but this is the first time I'm really going to talk about it. It's not, it's kind of like an open secret in the fact that uh, many people involved with NakaCon know that, you know, there was the whole COVID thing. And without the income that came from being able to hold a show, it, most shows, a lot of shows, didn't survive this. NakaCon is managing to pull off the show this year. I'm hoping that there's enough fundraising and enough interaction, enough sales that it will be able to carry over and recover even better in 2023. But there's a very real reality that this may be it for NakaCon. And I'm not trying to say that as a doomsayer or anything more than that. I hope that's not the case. It's absolutely my favorite larger show to do. It is one show that every single time I've done it, I have felt immediately at home. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Beth, was the kind of artist alley head on that. And I loved the show when she was in charge. And it's still going pretty well. Um, it is absolutely a very weird thing to not have her there and to not look forward to interacting with her and seeing her and just saying hi and catching up. She's a very good friend and somebody who was phenomenally wonderful in her position there at the show. But things do change. And... As so went that last year that COVID hit, and I've touched on this in the episode that covers NakaCon, um, she was there on site as everyone, the vendors and everyone is setting up in the uh, in the vendor room, Artist Alley and all that other stuff. It's all kind of combined. Um, and she had just gotten the news that basically Kansas City had shut down and so Overland Park was following suit 
because of COVID and the show was done. And also the fact that like, you know, there was just already issues happening and planet comic-con was going to be going down next after that. It was just not good. The whole circumstance was bad. That was her last show. So she didn't even really get a good chance to say goodbye or go out the way. I believe that she would have really wanted to with having ending, you know, having ended on a strong show. Um, but who knows how that would have gone if the show had even gone forward. And I know it wouldn't have because of everything that was happening. But fast forward a few years and, you know, we're at the point we are now with this. So I'm hoping that whatever may come with NakaCon, I'll have some good news on that episode. And I will definitely be posting like a madman to both Instagram and TikTok. I hope to hang out and be able to do a lot of stuff at the show. Running my booth is going to be a little bit crazy just because I can't leave my booth that often. And I'd like to try and get as much footage and great cosplay stuff. I'm itching to get back to doing a blog again for these shows. I've been so bad about that lately, and I do apologize. There's a lot more behind that, but it's more just... I hate the old... Um, there's the saying that a lot of times you'll hear, like, well, you know, life got in the way. The truth is it's a life-work balance, and it's trying to work through a lot of things that happened during COVID, you know, and trying to make sure that, like, my freelance... Uh, supports me through all the stuff I'm going through. So that's been a challenge there, but there's a lot of things that I'm hoping to really get hammered down this year. And hopefully 2023 will be far more normal. Anyway, we are now just at the 40 minute mark for this. We're going here in about three minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys get back to what you're doing. Thank you so much for listening. I am Mario, the artisan rogue. This is radio 74. You can find me on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram and on Facebook under the Artisan Rogue. You're gonna have to spell it a couple different ways. There are some links on this website. You can also go to my website, www.theartisanrogue.com. There are pages of the link to all the different myriad network aspects that I have. Um, it's been a blast, and I'm gonna leave one last footnote here. I am not sponsored by these people, but I ended up picking up the really hilariously fun and beautifully illustrated and animated app Duolingo. Duolingo is. I'd, I'd wanted to get back into conversational French, right? And uh, and I wanted to start learning that again and because I, I was getting really rusty with it. And thankfully, this kind of came to my rescue. I signed up, and it, it kind of is XP-based, and it's, like, very adventure-based, and, like, it's got all these sort of things. And I'm like, this is perfect. This is right up my alley. I've managed to complete, I'm not even joking, about two hours in the last three days of lessons where I, you could barely get me to listen to my, my Pimsleur learning CDs, you know, where, uh, you know, the, like most of the things like on the first CD are like, you know, um, just weird sentences that I'm like, how is that supposed to help me? You know, like, you know, où est la boulevard Saint-Michel? Like, I, first of all, I live near no boulevard named Saint-Michel. Why would I be asking people about this? How do I take that and even work that into conversation right how would i even do any of that sort of thing and and i say that having my love of french came about because i i would always hear it i loved it i loved french films when i was a kid the language was so beautiful and evocative and it, it even sounded much more serene than what spanish is and which i know pretty well but and, and there was a commonality because of the latin base so i wanted to learn it but I remember the, the moment that I really wanted to learn French was when I heard Eddie Izzard do jokes in English and then quickly end his show with the same jokes in French. And I, I don't think it was 
anything that anyone really realized at the moment until you go back and watch it, that he basically told a small five-minute segment in English of his stand-up and then ended the show in French, and you got the context. And it was just as funny when he did it in French because of his mannerisms, the, the connection with the audience that he had, the energy, the motions he was doing, and how you understood that English had borrowed a lot from French and that sort of thing. It was just brilliantly done. It is where I understood that he was, um, um, what, what would he say? Je suis un travesti exécutaire, which is, I am an executive transvestite. And that's another one that I'm like, there's nothing I can do with that. There is absolutely nothing I can do with that terminology. Personally, if I were to meet somebody from France without them going, quoi? And so with that, I end on this. Thanks again for listening, guys. And I will be back in another episode probably within a week. <laughs>